Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, as we once again come to consider this treasure, uh, this truth that angels long to see, we ask for your help. We ask that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts to the beauty of who You are for us, what You have done for us. May it continue to lead us to praise, to lead us to joy, a joy that our words can't even express. If that is going to happen this morning, Father, it will not be by my skill, it will not be by our intelligence, it will be by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter writes to elect exiles, people who are chosen and strange, people who belong to God, but don't quite fit where they live. They are they are experiencing the, the pain of being outsiders and the pressure to become insiders according to their standards or their culture's standard of normal. And as I said last week, that is us. That is us. We are elect exiles. We may not suffer 
to the degree that these original readers of the letter that Peter wrote suffered. And we might not suffer to the degree that many of our brothers and sisters around the world this morning are suffering. But still, we are elect exiles. We live in the tension of belonging to God in a world that has rejected and attempted to replace Him. And that creates friction for us. That creates confusion. That can create pain and suffering. And Peter writes to help us with that tension. And the first resource he gives us is a eulogy. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed is the word for eulogy. A speech that talks about how great someone is. A speech that celebrates someone's character and accomplishments. And we think of eulogies in connection to funerals, but that, wouldn't, if that word wouldn't have been limited for Peter in that way. And he here, in this passage, eulogizes God. He speaks into tension, pressure, pain, and suffering and says, let's talk about how great God is. Let's talk about how magnificent God is. He speaks to our pain. He speaks to the confusion that we feel about what it means to live devoted to Him where we are. And He says... Worship, praise, consider God and celebrate Him. And Peter's not alone in that. He joins a chorus of voices throughout Scripture that talk about suffering and say, rejoice, praise, celebrate. And the question I want to ask this morning is why would we do? Why would we do that? I mean, we expect to receive this advice from the Bible, right? We know that this is the pious thing to say, is that you're suffering, hey, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord in the middle of your suffering. We know that that's the right answer. But in our honest moments, don't you think, come on, do you have something else for me? What else, what else you got? Because if we're honest, worship, when we are in pain, seems kind of beside the point. And that's at best. At worst, it seems insensitive and maybe even offensive. So why would we do this? Why would we join Peter in worship? Why would we celebrate even in the midst of pain and suffering? Well, I want to bring that question to this text, and we'll see a couple of reasons. Uh, we should join Peter in worship uh, because worship reminds us of privilege, and it gives us perspective. Reminds us of privilege, and it gives us perspective. First of all, privilege. Peter doesn't celebrate God as an idea. He celebrates God in relationship. Blessed be God and 
Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. Peter celebrates God in his role as Father. Which connects us to the refreshing truth that we saw last week, that we are wanted. That God desires us. That he has pursued us and he has made us his own. But Peter here takes a further step. He celebrates God as Father not only because God has birthed us into a comforting relationship, but also because God has birthed us into a privileged future. A living hope. An imperishable inheritance. A salvation that will be revealed in the final time. God has birthed us into a privileged future. But what does that mean? What exactly is our privilege as sons and daughters of God? Well, I think the word inheritance is key. And inheritance throughout Scripture and in this culture would almost always have referred to land, to property. And so in the Old Testament, God describes the land that he has promised to his people as an inheritance. And then the New Testament takes that promise and expands it to include not just that strip of land in Palestine, but to include all the earth. That God will give to his people an inheritance that encompasses all of the earth that Jesus will return and will remake. So that the world will become a place not that has rejected God, but a new creation where God dwells with His people, and they rule and reign with Him. That's our privilege. That is our future, accomplished for us, Peter says, by the resurrection of Jesus. God births us into that future in the resurrection of His Son. So to believe in Jesus, To believe that he has been raised from the dead is to know God as Father. And to know God as Father is to receive a future where you will be fully and eternally at home with him. And hearing that, remember what Peter has called us. He has called us exiles. He's called us and said that our present experience is that of refugees. And what do refugees most want? When we lived in Malawi, uh, we had the opportunity to visit uh, the Zaleka refugee camp. It was this place in Malawi uh, that, was, that was a refuge, was a place to flee uh, for people who uh, were in really bad situations in the countries uh, that surrounded Malawi. And this refugee camp wasn't like the ones that you see on television with tents and their temporary settlements. Uh, this had been there for years and years, and there were buildings and houses like the ones that you would find in neighborhoods and cities and vi- villages throughout the country. There were people who had lived in this camp longer than they lived in their place of origin. 15, 20, 25 years. 
and still when you talk to them. Even though the majority of their life had been spent in that camp, when you talk to them, they still wanted to go home. They still wanted home. They might have had a nicer structure where they were living than the one they had where they lived before, but they still wanted to go home because that's what refugees most want. And Peter says, with the empty tomb communicates, what God accomplishes in raising Jesus from the dead is the guarantee that you will have a home. That you will live with God in a new creation. That you will rule and reign with Him. And so he says, because of that, you have a joy that exceeds words. Because of that privilege, you can know a joy that is beyond language, which seems ridiculous. When you think about the situation of the people to whom Peter was writing, that seems ridiculous until you understand that it's not the joy of fullness, it's the joy of anticipation. You see, Peter imagines the Christian life here as, as a child in December. Right? Kids in December, they are full of joy, right? Not because the presents are here, but because the presents are coming. That is our joy. It is the joy of anticipating the privilege that God sent his son to die and to rise from the grave to give to us, to guarantee for us. And do you know where we learn that joy? It's the place where we, reminded, we, are, we are reminded of that privilege. It is in worship. It is in celebrating and praising God because in worship... We come to the one who is our father. We come to the one who sent his time to birth us into this inheritance. The one who keeps this inheritance for us. And the one who guards us for that inheritance. That is where we will learn to joyfully anticipate the privilege that God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. Do you come here actively attentive to who God is for you in Jesus? Do you come here actively attentive to what is yours because Jesus died and rose for you? Do you devote moments in your week to pause? and reflect on who your Father is and what He has done for you. You desperately need that. You desperately need that because you need to be reminded of the privilege of being called and known as a son or daughter of God. Now, 
the danger of what I just said is that worship would be just come some kind of escapist fantasy. That when we gather and we sing and worship together, or you worship God on your own, it's this way to sort of kind of ignore the pain that you are experiencing. Ignore the confusion of, of living the life devoted to God in a world that has rejected Him. Is worship some way to just escape the present and dream about some distant future? Is that all it is? Well, no, because worship not only reminds us of our privilege, but it also gives us perspective. And it gives us perspective on our present, on today, on this week. Did you notice the theme throughout this passage of seeing? What we can see, what we can't see, what we will see, what will be revealed. Peter is trying to give us perspective. He is helping us to see something. And he commends those who can't see Jesus, but still love and believe in Jesus. And one of the central goals of this letter is to preserve that in us. That while we cannot see Jesus, that we would continue to trust Him, to follow Him, to give our lives to Him. That's what Peter wants for us. And, and to do that, he not only says, hey, you will see Jesus, and you will see the fullness of His salvation, but he also helps us to look at our present. He helps us look at today, and to do that, he enlists the help of the Old Testament prophets. In verses 10 to 12, he said, the prophets of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, help them come to understand something. He helped them to come to understand a pattern. A pattern of how God works. A pattern of how God will work ultimately to rescue and redeem His people. And the pattern is simply this. Suffering, then glory. That's the pattern that the prophets saw. And you can see that not only in the predictions of the Old Testament, but you see it in the stories of the Old Testament as well. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, all lived lives of suffering, then glory. Even the people of Israel as a whole. Wilderness, then promised land. Suffering, then glory. And Peter says... The prophets came to perceive this pattern, to see this pattern, and ultimately this pattern anticipates what they didn't see, what they couldn't understand, and that is that Jesus ultimately embodies and fulfills the pattern of how God works. Suffering, then glory, looks to what Jesus did in his life and death in His resurrection and His ascension to heaven. Jesus lived out the story of how God redeems and rescues His people, suffering then glory. Which tells us something about Him, and it tells us something important about Him, but what about us? Why does Peter make all these connections to the prophets and Jesus and, and Old Testament, New Testament? Why is he pulling all of these strands together if he's trying to talk about our present? If he's trying to talk about today, about this week, what does that have to do with us? 
But you have to connect verses 10 to 12 to verses 6 to 9. Because Peter says, Jesus embodies this pattern of suffering and glory. And then he gives that pattern to you. That pattern not only anticipated his life and his work, it, it anticipated your life and your work as well. Jesus has brought you into this story of God rescuing and redeeming all things with the rhythm suffering, then glory. So Peter is not ignoring. He's not dismissing our pain. He is not dismissing our confusion by trying to let us escape to some dream in the future. No, he's saying your pain, it fits. It is a part of the design. It's a part of the story that God is telling. It's a part of his plan to rescue and redeem all things. Your pain fits. I don't know if you all saw this this week, but uh, some little team from Columbus, Ohio won the national championship. on Monday, uh, Monday night, and um, this this illustration is only because I have friends from Columbus here, so this is my opportunity to use Ohio State, use the Buckeyes as an illustration. Uh, so it won the national championship on Monday night, and, and I, um, this week I read an article, kind of in the aftermath of all this celebrating what they've done. It was an article about their coach. Uh, the evil one. Um, <laughs> I don't say that because he's at Ohio State. I say that because he once resided a couple of hours south of us. So, um, <laughs> no, it's an article about Urban Meyer, about how, how great a coach he is and, and how far he's brought this team. And they were interviewing some of the players and talking about what it was like to have Urban Meyer as a coach. And, and one of the players uh, told the story of, of how when he first showed up on campus, this young man, he, he met with, with Coach Meyer and, and, and Meyer greeted him and looked at him, and the first thing he said to him is, the plan is infallible. The plan is infallible. Follow the plan, and it will work. Why? Why did Meyer say that to this young man? He was giving him perspective. He was teaching him how to see. Because what he knew is that when they were in the middle of two-a-days, it wouldn't feel like the plan was working. Okay, It wouldn't feel like the celebration that happened at the end of the game on Monday night. He knew there would be pain. He knew there would be times when it felt like failure, when it felt like the suffering was all there was. And Meyer was saying, there's something more. There was a plan. It is infallible, and your pain fits. That's what Peter is saying to us. He is not saying, hey, your, your pain is no big deal. He's not saying your, your sorrow, your grief, whatever. Just escape into some fantasy. No, he says, listen, your pain, it fits. God has a plan for glory. And much of your life, 
won't feel glorious. <laughs> For most of your life, the plan won't feel glorious. But Peter wants us to remain in faith. Trusting not only the one who has made the plan, but the one who through his son Jesus entered the plan and walked the road in front of us. Live that story of suffering, then glory in front of us. And so Peter says, put your eyes on him and learn to see your days through that lens. Because your pain, it fits. Your sorrow is real. Peter says you've suffered grief. That word is not a little melancholic. That is to be deeply troubled. You suffer grief, but it is not meaningless. It belongs to God and the story that he is telling. And the only way that we will live that way, continuing to trust the one who walks before us, the only way that our faith will last is with worship. It is with a life of praise. It's it's with an ability to celebrate God because in worship, and I'm going to switch my metaphor here, in worship we come not to the coach but to the artist. In worship we come to the artist and we bring our lives which seem like just chaotic colors, random shapes, But in praising and celebrating the artists, we begin to see that these colors and these shapes belong to a painting that when it is unveiled in its fullness will have unimaginable beauty. So we can trust Him. We can celebrate Him. And we can know a joy that is beyond words even in our pain. Let's pray.